Hello and welcome to Inside the Squad, a podcast produced by the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Inside the Squad is a community outreach podcast and is hosted by Lieutenant Scott Galloway and Specialist Ian O'Shields of the Crime Prevention Unit within the department. Our goal is to bring you an interesting, informative, and educational podcast by featuring interviews with officers and other public safety personnel. We hope you enjoy today's episode as we give you an inside look at law enforcement. Welcome to this week's Inside the Squad. I'm your host, Lieutenant Scott Galloway, and with us we have a new voice and a new face, Ian O'Shields. How's it going, Ian? Hello. How are you doing this morning? And so Ian's going to, I don't say we're replaced, but he's going to be... Um, stepping into the role of the crime prevention, community outreach portion of our podcast. And that's because Shauna has uh, been promoted to sergeant, which we want to give her congratulations. And then Brian's also a, a midnight uh, lieutenant, so it's hard for them to get here. And we want to keep this in the crime prevention family, so welcome in. We're glad to have you on board. Thank you. I think, I think it'll be good. Absolutely. And as always, we've got Patty Payne from uh, City Marketing and Community Outreach or what, Community Relations. Relations. Okay. Yeah. And then Tom <laughs> and Alan are producing our show as always and do a great job, so we appreciate having them on board. And t- today our, our guest is Teresa Williams, who's from Indiana University Health. And we're going to be talking about Active Shooter and Stop the Bleed, which is an incredible program that she's been running and great information for everybody listening. Yeah, and uh, she and I collaborate. We have a handful of times and have uh, some presentations scheduled here in the near future. Uh, but she, I do the active shooter, and then she comes in and does Stop the Bleed, and they uh, mesh very well. It's good free training. Uh, so get a hold of me, and we'll make that happen for your organization. So so where do you where do you work at, or what brings you to Stop the Bleed? Okay, my name's Teresa Williams, and I'm a nurse. Um, I work at IU Health Arnett Trauma Center. Um, I work for the Trauma Services Department, and I am their outreach coordinator. Um, So I go out and do community education um, in the whole West Central region, which I carry, cover maybe up to 10 different counties that I do education in. Um, Basically, IU Health um, allows me to travel wherever within the state of Indiana um, to do education on um, trauma-associated topics. So what, what is Stop the Bleed? Stop the Bleed? Yeah, what is that program? Stop the Bleed is one of our new programs that we started in May of 2017. Um, Stop the Bleed came about in 2012 after the Sandy Hook incident. Um, the President of the United States uh, put a committee together called the Hartford Consensus. And it was made up of the um, American College of Surgeons Committee on Trauma um, Specialist a combat tactical unit uh, specialist, uh, the um, association of um, EMTs and paramedics, and um, also um, first responders and that type of thing. Um, So they put a committee together and they look back through a lot of the mass shooting incidents and other incidents to see what we could have done differently what um, EMS, fire, law enforcement, what we all could have done differently um, to save more lives. Were any of the lives, the deaths preventable was the main thing as far as the trauma center is concerned. 
Um, what could we have done differently? So they looked at response times of law enforcement and EMS and first responders and the trauma center data um, on patients when they arrived there and how they were treated. And what they found out was that a lot of the victims in these mass shooting incidents died of what we called isolated arm and leg wounds. And in the trauma world, no one should really die of an isolated arm and leg wound. And unfortunately, as good as our law enforcement and EMS and everybody was, that often by the time the scene was secured, um, a lot of the victims died of isolated arm and leg wounds and literally bled out within that 5 to 15 minute time frame um, where they can bleed to death. And so what came out of the Hartford consensus was that we needed to train civilian people at the scene um, with these victims how to stop life-threatening bleeding. And not only in mass shootings, but this is applicable at home. Um, we always have incidents where there are chainsaw accidents at home, accidental shootings when people go hunting, um, accidental shootings when people are cleaning their um, uh, firearms, um, all of those kind of things, bad traffic accidents that people come upon. Um, so there's many places where our civilian population could help if they just knew how to stop life-threatening bleeding. So Stop the Bleed was developed for civilians um, to be able to stop life-threatening bleeding of their loved ones or in instances of um, mass shootings or incidents like that. So it was awesome because she and I met when I got promoted to the spot community outreach and back in November, right? And right. So, uh, you know, me being an active shooter instructor, I was like, oh, wow, we could totally collaborate on this. And so since then we have, but we literally took a day one day and went out and passed out cards to our cards to churches and businesses and really whoever, any civilian, you know, uh, company or organization that was willing to have the free training, right? Right. Uh, as long as they could uh, give us a couple hours of their time. And uh, I just think it's important to spread the word. So uh, it meshes well together, I think, and people really seem to enjoy it and appreciate it. And it's a good learning experience. So What I was finding was when I would go to teach Stop the Bleed, people were asking me, well, how do I know if the scene's safe? Should I go out there and take care of someone? Um, should I run? Should I hide? Should I stay here and fight? You know, what where, What do I need to do? You know, um, and I really didn't feel qualified to answer all those questions. And so I approached um, Ian and I said, you know, hey, can we collaborate on this? These two things go together. And I think we can really make a difference in the community. And no, it doesn't necessarily have to be an active shooter training like you would do for fire and EMS. But civilians want to know what they need to do if something happens around them. How can they um, stay safe, the safest that they can stay? And what to expect when law enforcement arrives. That's a big thing. Um, a lot of them don't understand that law enforcement is not necessarily going to stop and take care of them if they're injured. They're going to go right by them. They're after um, the perpetrator, and um, it has worked out really well. We had a really um, exciting, I would call it, um, lecture that we did. We did the combination program at... Um, in West Lafayette. Yes, church at, over there. At the Presbyterian Church. And um, it turned out really, really well. Um, I'm looking, I'm hoping that we can do one for community, um, combined for our community in the city of Lafayette. 
um, and it's free of charge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, uh, A, it's free, so free is good. And, you know, we're truly just wanting to help people and uh, get their information out there. But what I love about it, too, is, is you know, obviously we're getting the word out to be prepared for active shooter because, unfortunately, it's a, a topic that's been going on quite a bit lately. Um, but, uh, you know, her training and my training both are applicable to more than just active shooter, you know, just uh, training people to be more prepared uh, so they're just not a victim in any crime. And then, like she said, you know, if you're at home and uh, your husband or wife accidentally cut themselves with a chainsaw, as as she always uses, or if you get an accidental gunshot wound, uh, you might save their life. Because we're talking, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not a medical professional, but, you know, you have minutes before somebody can bleed out and, you know, uh, where are you at? You in the middle of the woods? Are you you live out in the country, or you know, or do you have a vehicle accessible? So uh, it's just it's just really good training. So if you're here, if you're listening to this, uh, please get a hold of us, um, and uh, we'll be more than happy to come out and provide your organization with training. So speaking of listening to this, uh, you're hearing a new voice, Ian. Yes. So uh, we're rebranding the podcast. Absolutely. And. And so that's because Shauna and, and Brian have uh, moved on to greener pastures and the patrol division. And so, uh, what, what's going to be your role here in the, on the podcast? What are you, what are you thinking? What are you my role? To do? The first thing that comes to mind is entertaining. I just that's just who I am. <laughs> Something right? new to that, right? And educational. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I enjoy. I I can't express in, in words how much I enjoy uh, my new position and. Uh, going out and speaking with the community and, and just helping in any way I can. So uh, I think I, you know, that, that's what I'm good at. And uh, so hopefully I can bring that to the podcast and maybe some education, enlighten some people. I don't know. So and, then, and that also um, intersects with the active shooter because that's kind of your you're a SWAT operator. Yes. And yeah. so tell us about active shooters. What, are, what is kind of the – the role you play or the presentation you do in a nutshell of that. So, yeah, I wear a lot of hats as the PD. Um, and one thing I do is active shooter instructor. I went to uh, a uh, certification a few years ago. It's called Alert Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training. And um, it was very good training. And it is the FBI standard of active shooter response. And uh, so since I've become an instructor in that, I've put on uh, a department-wide active shooter training. I thought it was pretty awesome. Um, I really strive to bring new ideas and um, new things to our training that we've never used before. Uh, So I I think I hit that last time. Guys really seemed to enjoy it. Uh, But, uh, you know, just trying to make our our guys and ladies – uh, as prepared as possible, the best police officers they could be. Uh, one thing I like to say, and it, actually my father always says this, is he always strives to make me one better than him. So I really strive to make my partners one better than me because I'm not going to be here forever. So uh, so that's what I do. And uh, so with that active shooter uh, training, obviously that's police-oriented in our response to a threat like that. Uh, I took that and I made a civilian uh, uh, presentation just just so people can be more prepared. Really, that's the big thing. You know, how can I be prepared if something uh, horrific like that were to occur, um, you know, and 
just change the way of thinking. You know, you can't think that, hey, it's not going to happen to me. I hope it never happens to you. You know, I hope it never happens to anybody. But uh, unfortunately, it does occur. And I want anyone and everyone to be prepared. That's somebody's mother, brother, sister, friend, right? Right. And uh, so, so with that, I just that's what I bring. And then once again, I met Teresa. She's an amazing person. She's a great educator. You know, I've been, we've again collaborated a few times already and have some plans already in the future and, uh, just great free training that is for anyone and everyone that's willing to listen. I think that's great. I mean, education is wonderful, obviously, but with a lot of these things, even though they're uncomfortable to think about, we would rather not think about active shooters or stopping the bleed you don't want to freeze up. And so if you spent some time ahead thinking about what would happen and how you would act and react, that really helps you get through the situation, I think. Have, do you have any experience with that, Teresa? Basically, a lot of the experience that I've had is um, with people who are hesitant to um, embrace the fact that it could happen to them. Um, we have school systems that we go to, um, Tippecanoe School, Lafayette School Corporation, Benton Schools, Clinton County Schools. I go all to the school systems. And a lot of the pushback that we get is that we don't want to upset the staff. We don't want to upset the children. We get that in the community that they don't want to be upset that this could happen to them. Um, but I think once they go through the training and realize it's not meant to be scary it's to prepare you and that also it's not just for the mass shootings it's for incidents that could happen at home and it could be your loved one um i think people are coming around more right. and more open to the training um i just find that if we train these people that they're going to feel empowered to be able to help and maybe that'll take away some of the fear Exactly. Knowledge is power. No, absolutely. And, you know, like she said, I think I think we present uh, in a way that it really does. It's, it's not to bring fear. Just it's to bring, uh, you know, the education por- portion and um, just to get the people to think. And uh, it's a really good course. I, I, I obviously I'm a little biased, but, uh, you know, I haven't had anybody come up to us and say, you know, you're lacking this or that was horrible. Um Everybody really seemed to appreciate it and enjoy it. So, uh, which increasing is awesome. awareness and them increasing the awareness around themselves is a big thing. To um, to notice things as they're walking into somewhere, or if somebody's coming up to come to church that doesn't look quite right, um, that might be a threat. Or if something's different, something just doesn't feel right. Um, just to notice your surroundings, um, that's a big thing because a lot of people don't even consider that. They're so busy getting from point A to point B or tied up with their cell phones or texting um, that they, they're they not aware of their surroundings. And just being aware of your surroundings is a, is a big plus. Right. Um, and then if something does happen, knowing what to do and how to um, help that person that's there with you. So you know, we, we talk about that and. Um situational awareness from condition white to condition yellow and Mm -hmm. and that's more of a police thing but uh, can you explain that a little bit of situational awareness like Teresa said most people live in that that realm of oblivious to whatever's going on other than what they need to do so how do you teach officers or even civilians how to prepare for the unknown even though they're 
you know, they're not in the military, they're not police officers, but they still need to have that mindset. Yeah. So obviously I think, uh, police and then civilians is kind of two different worlds of how we train, uh, civilians though, you know, I, I try to find that happy balance of, listen, I don't want you to walk around like peering around every corner and being scared everywhere you go. Really, that is not my intentions or, you know, I'm not trying to train them to be the police. Um, I just want them to, again, like, like uh, Teresa said, be more observant. If you see somebody following you or somebody acting uh, different or a car parked on your street that has never been there before or whatever, they, it, people know. People know when something's I, out of place. I think they rationalize it, though, sometimes Correct. and like think, ah, that's okay, they're there. Somebody else will call that in if it's a problem or it absolutely. won't happen to me. Absolutely. That's and the unfortunately, mindset the mindset, yeah, absolutely. And so they essentially put it on somebody else to maybe take that action. So I, I push, hey, you take that action. Don't leave it up to somebody else. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that other person and the person after that, they're all thinking the same thing, and then nothing happens, and then all of a sudden something occurs, a crime occurs, right? Uh, so maybe you could stop that. You, whoever you is, could be that person uh, that could make the difference. And sometimes all it takes is a phone call, right? You call 911 or 807 if you live in you know, Lafayette, 807-1200, and we will, you know, we'll check it out. And you know what? If it's nothing, good. But it might be something, and we can't do our jobs without the community. And I always say that, and that's why, you know, I love my job again. Is I love reaching out and building those relationships because we truly can't do our job uh, without you guys. So, so you'd rather hear from them than hear about them. Absolutely, hundred percent. So who are these people that would would commit these crimes that Teresa's um, referencing? Do you have a uh, an idea to? identify these people or as far as active shooters yeah, or who are these people that are committing these, these you know, crimes or so you know that's kind of the the thing is it's anybody it, it could really be anyone uh and that's again going back come i mean it's it's not uh, rocket science right it's simple if something's out of place be observant notice it take action because uh, it could be anyone and so you know Unfortunately, there's there's folks out there that have mental illness. I I feel and is a huge factor in in these incidents that are occurring. Uh, stress, domestic violence, workplace violence, uh, a culmination of a couple of them or all of them, right? Uh, and I think it just takes that that day to where it all unfortunately aligns just right, and they decide that you know today's going to be the day, and uh, so. Can we truly, truly prevent that? Maybe, hopefully. But if not, it's upon us to be prepared to take action if something like that does occur. So, Now, Teresa, you, you had mentioned, and just because uh, Patty had mentioned, uh, some of these things aren't fun to talk about, but you had talked about leg and arm injury. So is that arterial bleeding? It just hits the artery just right? and. It, Aggressive no, bleeding. That's or correct. What? Arterial okay. bleeding is, that's, that's is the most arm, severe. Arm injury is correct. Not just like a through and through to the muscle, and no, those are survivable. Those won't. Those won't necessarily bleed um, severely to become life threatening. But lots of times, um, the trajectory of the bullet and the ammo and all of that kind of stuff. You guys all know about that. Um, has to do with whether it hits an artery and what it tears up as it goes through the um, arm or the leg or. Um, the person's body. Um, but on arm and leg wounds, um, a lot of what we see is arterial bleeding. Um, and it's so easily stopped with a tourniquet. And that's what, you, that's what you're promoting in your programming is 
is to stop arterial, well, stop life-threatening bleeding by either using a tourniquet or packing wounds with something as simple as your T-shirt or your socks and applying direct pressure if you don't have a tourniquet. Um, by all means, if you do have a cat tourniquet um, and you have an isolated arm or leg wound, you can put that tourniquet on two to three inches above the wound, tighten it down as tight as you can get it, and the bleeding will stop. And real quick with the tourniquets, she brings up, she taught me something is uh, a lot of people in the mindset of tourniquets, you're going to lose a limb. Yep. And that's not the case. Right, Teresa? Right. Um, when I started my career back in the early 80s, um, we were always told, um, don't bring us a patient with a tourniquet on unless you're sure they're going to die because you're going to make them lose their arm or they're going to lose their leg. And there were all these horror stories. And then in the 90s, they kind of changed it to where um, – they had you put a tourniquet on, leave it on for so many minutes, loosen it, and then tighten it back up. So um, evidence-based studies have showed that no one has ever lost an arm or leg or an extremity um, due to a tourniquet being put on when it's been there for two hours or less. Um, and in most cases, in two hours or less, that person's in a trauma center or in an operating room. Um, the military has shown more extended hours in their studies. Um, you think about our military personnel, how long it is um, before they are actually at a surgery place where they can get surgery on um, their affected limb. Um, all of our military personnel are issued cat tourniquets. Um, because of the ease of being able to put them on with one arm or one hand. Um, and you can even actually put them on with your teeth. Um, they're that simple to um, put on and get tightened down. Um, so, um, And LPD has them as well. Yes, our, our LPD has them. Yep. Um, Typical New Emergency Management has them. And most of the fire departments, uh, I know Lafayette Fire has um, cat tourniquets that they carry um, and that kind of thing. And we like to, at IU Health, um, give Lafayette Police Department credit because your officers have used their tourniquets on Absolutely. some of our patients, and we credit them for saves by actually applying the tourniquet before EMS could arrive. And, you know, 10 years ago uh, when, I, when I got on, nobody was wearing tourniquets, and now I, there's not really an officer I see in you know patrol uniform that's not wearing one. So, I mean, all the guys have them. Usually they're on their person or they're definitely close by in a squad. So, uh, you know, it's really changed and it's saved lives. So it's Correct. awesome. And her training's free. Well, I appreciate the there. information, Teresa, because, you know, I was just going off the first aid training I received in Girl Scouts in the mid-70s. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those who thought there was no coming back from a tourniquet. Yeah, it was always oh, don't is. do tourniquets right. because you're, it was a taboo thing to do a tourniquet. Mm -hmm. a, right. It used to be like, of, don't ever do that. You know, I can remember that from back in my days, you know. Um, so it really, that just brings back the point that, you know, our training, I feel someone can say, take something from it. And, uh, you know, again, I learned that. She taught me that. And uh, so that's just good stuff to know and, again, saves lives. So so can the civilians get these cat tournament tourniquets? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Um, they're available available at all healthcare stores, um, you know, like that do um, equipment, but you can go on amazon.com. Um, you can go on walmart.com uh -huh. and look up cat tourniquet, combat application tourniquet or cat tourniquet. You want to make sure you get the black or hunter orange. Um, the blue ones are training tourniquets. So make sure it's not a training tourniquet, but you just order a cat tourniquet and they ship it right to your house. Sounds like something that should be in everybody's first aid kit then. They're nice to have in your car or in your purse. 
you never know when you might need one. And it's hard to find a stick and a belt sometimes. So it is. It well, is. That, and we, we That's t- what you'd use, though, right? If a belt or it's whatever you have available, is that going to be appropriate? Okay. Ideally, if you had a tourniquet, uh, you know, like a cat tourniquet that's effective would be great. But we realize that those aren't always there or you don't have enough of them, maybe. Um, So you're going to use whatever you have. Um, Belts are very hard to use in the fact that you have to keep them tight the whole time. All right. So you're trying to hold pressure on that if it's a leather belt and not release the pressure and let the blood start flowing again. So they can be very awkward. Um, Lanyards that you wear around your neck that don't stretch, like that maybe hold a name badge at work or something like that. If they don't stretch, those work very well. Um, You're going to use whatever you have. It might be a a computer cord. It might be an extension cord, something that does not stretch. And just a thing I want to bring out there is, you know, when we all go get our blood drawn, they use the stretchy tourniquet to put on your arm to draw your blood. Those won't work. Okay, they stretch. Those just help uh, what we call um, make your veins come out a little bit better. They'll stop venous flow a little bit, but they won't completely start stop arterial blood flow. Um, so they're not a good choice. Um, even but, though it feels like it, though, right? Because I know pardon? my hand goes. I said, even though it feels like it, just because it, it feels like it doesn't like mean it, it's, doing it's not it. tight enough, and that gives you an idea of how bad when you put a tourniquet on someone, how bad it hurts. Hmm. If they're awake, they're going to be telling you it hurts, and they're going to be begging you to loosen it or taking it off. Don't do it. Um, leave it on. Once you put it on, it stays on. And so that brings up another point as far as wound packing. Um, I know it was interesting because I asked her. I was like, "So, do you teach this to nurses?" And she's like, absolutely, because a lot of nurses or medical professionals feel that everything needs to be sterilized. And so if they're in the field, they're like, whoa, will you use a sock to pack a wound? And she's like, absolutely. And they just can't wrap their minds around it because, well, that's not sterile, right? Well, right. are we worried about something being sterile? We're worried about saving a life right now. And so it's just, again, good training for anyone. Uh, but, yeah, you use a shirt, sock, whatever you have to pack that wound. And uh, so she covers that in her training as well. Right. We'll deal with the infection issue with all kinds of antibiotics and go into surgery and rinsing it out and that type of thing. But if you don't stop the bleeding, obviously the patient's going to die. And there's not a whole lot we can do at that point. Yeah. Um, So the whole goal of stop the bleed is to stop the bleeding so that you can get them to a trauma center and um, get them home. So this is something we haven't done, but is this some training that you would give to uh, juveniles? I mean, yes. in fact, um, IU Health Arnett, um, I've done training at Kokomo High School in their career center um, for their um, students, their high school age students. Mm-hmm. Also, this summer, we have the um, Boy Scout camp up at Monon um, scheduled for Stop the Bleed training at every one of their week camps. We will be going up and teaching the Boy Scouts how to stop the bleed as part of their first aid um, Badge, and then also there is a stop the bleed badge for Boy Scouts. So nice. we're also getting it out to um, the kids, and they're handling it really well. Um, there was a lot of concern as to whether it would be traumatizing and that type of thing, but we teach our children and we teach our high school kids how to te- do CPR. And if you've ever done CPR, CPR could be traumatizing, but um, we teach them that and hope that they never have to use it. The same way with Stop the Bleed. We want to teach the kids this, and we hope that they never have to use it. But then again, it empowers them to make a difference. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, that they could save their friend if they needed to. I don't think people give children or juveniles enough credit, honestly, when it comes to training like that. Uh, I think they'd be one of the first to jump up and, and apply a tourniquet or give CPR. And, you know, the thing, too, is, is worst-case scenario, if active shooter ever occurred, um, it, it may be a juvenile with another juvenile. So, right. you know, and they're not going to be able to go seek out an adult who knows how to do it. So if they have that training, they can apply that tourniquet. They can save that life. You know, at the end of the day, we're all we all need to take care of each other, you know. So uh, so that's awesome to know that. And I, I would to, hope that people would get over the uh, being traumatized or this is going to hurt people's feelings kind of thing. I mean, that has to go away. That has to stop. People have to take care of each other and learn how to do that. And, and this is life. These yeah. things happen, and it's not going to stop happening. So that's one thing I would hope from your training is that people accept that and see that it's a good thing and more people engage with that because um, you could really almost every day go out and do a talk at some business or school or something. And so how, how busy are you? Are you doing a lot of these talks, or do you need to do more? I have seven scheduled for this week. Okay. So that keeps you busy, right? It keeps me busy, doing, doing and I enjoy it. Like, um, good. Like um, – it's so it's nice to go out and go into places to teach the community how to do this, to see the fear that they have about doing it, and then by the time that you're done, they're okay with it. Um, they enjoy it. They know they need to learn it. And usually when I go somewhere, it's like, I'm so glad I came. Um, can you come and do one? for our woodworking group, or can you come and do one for um, our church? Um, so it's it's getting a positive reaction, and people are learning. And I noticed, you know, when I watched the Las Vegas shooting there, I watched the news clips, and I kind of watched it for a different reason, not to find out who it was or what was going on. But when I watched it, I seen civilian people helping other civilian people. Um, there were reports, there were visuals of people making tourniquets, of people putting tourniquets on the victims, of them taking them to the um, trauma center themselves. And I'm like, this is working. Um, people were using their T-shirt in Las Vegas to help stop bleeding. Um, and it was evident by the videos. Um, so it's out there, it's working, and the American people want to know how to do it. And it's nice that Ian gives it... Um relevance when you get when you do your active shooter training alongside that so it, it gives it good you know those, those marry very oh, well me, those yeah topics. it meshes beautifully and uh, as far as the training is concerned but not only that you know again i love the fact too that it's applicable to more than just uh just an active shooter incident you know what if your your 15 year old son's at home watching your 10 year old son or whatever and something happens and the 15 year old has to throw a tourniquet on i mean he may save his little brother's life, right? I mean, it's just applicable where your husband's cutting down a tree and he accidentally cuts himself in his in his leg and you need to throw a tourniquet. I mean, just... Children that go through glass doors. Oh, and, yeah. You know, chasing each other through the house and they go through a glass door or something like that, you know. Yep. There's all kinds of incidents that are Correct. not criminally related. There, there are things that happen at home. It's nice to have that confidence. Oh, absolutely. So uh, we're going to... Close it up for today. Thanks for coming, Teresa. Uh, when's your next talk? You got anything scheduled for the public, or is it all She rushed private? over here this morning. That's why we started a little late. I so just finished we do this morning it. at one of the Tippecanoe School Corporation schools, and then okay. I have one um, tomorrow morning at one of the schools and the following morning. Um, 
we're working right now on getting some public um, presentations out there combined. Um, yeah, active so be nice we, do, we do one here. Uh, maybe we could schedule one for the summer um, for, for a public type forum conversation. Yeah, we would love to do that. Good. Yeah, we talked on yeah, we, that. Yes, we need to talk about this before you leave. So, so Ian, we'll thanks for uh, joining us today. And, yeah, thank you. And uh, being part of this. I'm looking forward to continuing it. Patty, are you looking forward to me being here? I am so looking That's forward what I to it. It's, it's, there's an entertainment factor. I don't know what it is. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Squad. Make sure you catch us on our social media platforms. You can see those on the show notes. Ian, thanks again for, for being here today. It's great to have you on board. And I appreciate it. I enjoy great things. Absolutely. And we'll see them, uh, what, next month? Yep. Try to knock out one of these once a month and uh, or, or more often, whatever we need to do. Sounds good. Subscribe. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Squad from the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Be sure to check out past episodes and subscribe for new ones on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question for the show, you can email it to podcast at lafayette.in.gov or connect with us on Nextdoor, Twitter, and on our website, lafayettepolice.us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Inside the Squad.